uh, we're going to be hanging out in Mark chapter 8. And again, I was serious about the clog deer. So if I start yelling or if I start whispering, please just like wave your hands, except for you. Because um, <clears throat> you won't tell me the truth. But who, who in here feels like they are a good communicator? Do I have any good communicators? Ken, you're a good communicator. Okay. Both of that's good. Both Mobleys are good communicators. That's pretty good. Um, who in here thinks they are maybe a better listener than a better communicator? I, I feel like I fall in that category too. I'm, I'm, I'm typically a pretty good listener. Uh, f- for those of you who, who feel like you're good listeners, or, or maybe even if you don't think you're a good listener, who is just really, really good at following someone else's train of thought even when it comes way out of left field. Anybody in here? You, you know what I'm talking about? Where somebody says something and it seemingly it's just like way, way, way out there. And you're like, oh, I totally see where that person gets that from. You know, the pieces kind of click together for you. So I'm not always great at that. Um, I think it's because I'm a husband. But uh, it, just, it just seems to happen over and over again. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be having a conversation with Rachel, and it'll go something like this. I'll say, Rachel, would you like to grill out tonight for dinner? And she'll sit there for about, I don't know, one to two seconds and say, I really think that the kids should live with my sister if we both die. (laughs) And I'm just, you know, I'm looking around in the room to see who else she's talking to because obviously that is not an appropriate answer to do you want to grill out tonight? And I'll just look at her and say, how in the world did you come? Like, where did that come from? And so she's like, well, well, obviously, you mentioned grilling out. And so I was like, well, we might need to go to the grocery store. And therefore, I need to check our Dave Ramsey app to see how much money I have left in the budget for groceries. And then when I thought about the Dave Ramsey app, it reminded me of the Dave Ramsey class where we had to go through our life insurance. And I remember that we haven't completely set that all up yet. And part of that is making sure that the kids are the beneficiaries and then also realize that we hadn't decided what would happen to the kids if we both died. So I think the kids should live with my sister if we both die. <laughs> to which I reply, okay, we'll grow pork chops. But, but you know, it's, it's I mean, that's, this may or may not have happened at my house. I can neither confirm nor deny but uh, we have a story that, that feels very, very similar to this. Um, and the disciples are kind of like the poor husbands in the story. that just They just can't keep up. And so let's look over in Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. And we're going to go through verse 17. It says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And the disciples said, no, we're just hungry. Our hearts are hard and like, Jesus, what in the world is going on? Like, where are you getting all this from? Why are you going on about 
yeast and Herod and Pharisees. Like we were just talking about getting something to eat. And so obviously I, I think to, to gain context, we, we need to zoom out a little bit. Uh, we need to kind of see some of the things that happened before this interaction uh, and talk about the things that, that are going to happen after this interaction. Before we do, though, I want to dive in and unpack just a little bit kind of these initial comments by Jesus because I, I think they'll serve as a really good guide for us as we study the rest of this text. So apparently, something is causing the disciples to have a lack of understanding. And the thing that Jesus is pointing to is yeast. So, okay, well, what do we know about yeast? So we know that, especially for these guys, yeast is a pretty common thing that they use day-to-day, right? Um, they use it in bread. Uh, it's to help make the bread rise. Uh, they know in that a lot of their uh, traditions and their ceremonies, they, they don't use yeast. They don't use that leavening, right? Um, to signify things like the Passover feast, uh, you know, that tradition that we kind of carry on every Sunday on Sunday morning with the unleavened bread. So yeast was something that was, was pretty common to them, but some of the other properties of yeast that they were aware of that, that we may not be is that you know just a little bit of yeast goes a really, really long way. When you mix yeast in with the dough, it, it's basically undetectable. If you leave it in for too long, then, then they can totally ruin your bread, right? Um, and it spreads quickly. Like once you put it in, it kind of goes all throughout the dough. So obviously, Jesus does not have inherently a problem with yeast. And what he's saying here is that yeast is, is like influence, right? And so he's talking about the influence of the Pharisees and the influence of Herod being this thing that they need to watch out for because it can cause them to lack this understanding. And what's neat here is that Jesus talks about both the Pharisees and of Herod. And and I think these guys especially, they could understand, okay, like we know we should be aware or be wary of the ideas and influences of people like Herod. You know, Herod to them basically represented the secular world, right? He was kind of this puppet of Rome. He was uh, the governor of, of, of their, um, their region there. And so, like, okay, like, we know, Jesus, that we should beware of the ideas and influences of the world. But Jesus also mentioned the Pharisees in there. And so for them, the Pharisees represented society, right? They represented religion. They represented these rules. And so Jesus, to start us off here, he's basically saying, you need to be careful Because sometimes the ideas and influences of both religion and the world can cause us to lack understanding. All right, so let's use that kind of as our filter as we go through. So let's take a step back and let's look at verse 11, see if we can kind of uh, get some context for why Jesus went on this tangent. And we're going to go 11 all the way through 21. It says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. Jesus had just finished feeding the 4,000. He got on a boat, um, and he had just landed. And so here comes his best friends, the Pharisees. Uh, They began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed 
deeply. Some, uh, some versions say sighed deeply in his spirit. You know, he was just exasperated. But he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So it gives us a little bit more context, right? Jesus had just kind of had this really frustrating run-in with the Pharisees, and so uh, he kind of had that going through his mind, and you know, he hears the disciples grumbling about bread. Uh, kind of just as a side note, this is just another awesome example of Jesus always having the big picture in mind. You know, the disciples were so focused on what was right in front of them, um, and Jesus was, was and is always more concerned about that big picture, which can be a sermon in and of itself, um, but not one for tonight. And so we see this situation here where Jesus is, is really laying into these guys, right? I mean, it seems like he says some pretty harsh things. He says, you know, are your hearts hardened? You know, every time we see that phrase in the Bible, it's typically not with someone that you want to be lumped into with. You know, probably the most infamous of all is that guy way back in Egypt, right? God talks about Pharaoh's heart being hard all the time. And so Jesus is using some of the same language with the disciples. And they're just kind of taken aback from it. They don't, they don't really get it. They don't understand it. And what I think is interesting is that Jesus starts to question some of their physical faculties, right? He's like, do you have eyes that can't see? Do you have ears that can't hear? And what in the world is wrong with your brain? Like, can't you remember? And so he questions their ability to see clearly, to hear clearly, and to remember clearly. And the implication there is that these are the things, because of the influences of the world, because of the influences of religion, it has caused you to not be able to see clearly, hear clearly, or remember clearly. And it's causing you to lack this understanding that I'm trying to get you to. So we're going to kind of break down those three things tonight and talk a little bit about what Jesus may have meant there. And so what was it that Jesus, or what was it that disciples, rather, were not seeing clearly? I think the thing is, is that they weren't seeing Jesus for who he truly was. And I think that the biggest example of that we have is, is back up in verse 11, right? Let's, let's talk through this interaction with the Pharisees, okay? So Jesus gets off the boat. Pharisees come up and they say, Jesus, we are looking for what? For a sign. We're looking for a sign. 
And of course, if I'm Jesus, I'm just like, have you not been hanging out with me? Like, have you not seen all these crazy things that I've been doing? I've been casting out demons. I've been multiplying bread to ridiculous amounts. I've been healing people. When we look at Matthew's account here, it gives us a little more insight of what they're talking about. Um, and this is actually a sign from heaven. And so it's this idea of really you know, astrology or astronomy, you know, studying the sky for signs, looking at the sky to, to see something up there. And in Matthew's account, Jesus basically tells him, he says, listen, any Joe Schmo can tell that if it's a red sky at night, you guys heard this before, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in morning, sailor takes one. This, this is kind of where that comes from. And Jesus tells them that, and he says, like, anybody can do that. Like, of all the things in the world for you to ask me, this is what you're asking me? And you've got to think about just the unbelievable irony that here. Okay, you picture it, right? You've got Jesus standing there, probably half a dozen, dozen, who knows, of these Pharisees standing around him. These men who their entire lives have been trained in the scriptures. And a big piece of that is remembering all those messianic prophecies, right? Because part of the thing that the Pharisees needed to do is they needed to know what the Messiah was going to look like when he came. So you have these guys standing around the Son of God who are all just looking up at the heavens. The place that Jesus already left to be among them. I mean, this is not like the ultimate can't see the forest for the trees movement or moment. I don't know what is. And you know Jesus wanted to shake them or maybe smack them probably. But, but at the very least, just grab their chin and bring it down and say, you're looking for these signs from heaven, but the Messiah is right here in front of you. But the problem is, because of the influences and the ideas of their religion, and probably of the world too, when they saw Jesus, they did not see him for who he really was. They saw an imposter. They spent their whole lives trying to figure out what this man was going to be, what he was going to look like, how he was going to come, and they had this idea in their head of what that was going to be but not based on anything that they read in the scripture, but based on the ideas and the influences of their religion. They, they saw what they wanted to see, right? They, they kind of had the idea, that image in their mind, and that's what they saw. They didn't see him for who he really was. I think another way to say that is they put God in a box, right? I mean, I feel like that's kind of the term that we use today. We kind of craft our own image of God, right? We, we kind of see him as the thing that we want to see him as. And what's so, so scary about that is if we don't think God can do whatever, fill in the blank, then he won't. Not because he's not doing it, but because we're refusing to see it, right? I mean, perception is reality. I mean, that's the truth of it. And so when we don't see God for who he truly is, then our God may not be big enough to get us through this problem. Our God may not be big enough to help us and forgive us of this sin. And so Jesus was right to question their vision. Yeah, they have eyes, but can those eyes see? 
But, it, you know, it's easy. It's easy sometimes for the influences of the world, the influences of religion, to skew how we see God. So that's how they see God. So, so what was it maybe that the disciples weren't hearing? They weren't hearing about God in a way that helped them understand. Because remember, understanding is what we're trying to come to. They didn't hear about God in a way that helped them understand that he was a provider. What's the issue here with these guys? What are they stressed out about? Bread. One. Right. I mean, it's like, holy cow. If only we knew somebody who had some experience with this, you know? If only this random guy in the boat over here has had experience multiplying bread, you know, in exponential amounts. But when we think about hearing, how we hear something over and over and over again often dictates how we remember it, right? I mean, especially in, in kind of this day and age. Storytelling was one of the most common ways to pass down information from generation to generation, right? And so you heard a story over and over and over again, and then it kind of helped you commit it to memory. But you got to remember with communication, there's always two parts. You have the information that's being communicated from the sender, but then you have the information being processed by the receiver. And so often, the ideas and the influences of the world and of religion can cause us to hear some crazy things about God and therefore remember some crazy things about God. I mean, you know, these guys were a perfect example. Like, they were literally a boat trip and a half away from what happened with the 4,000, right? I mean, you know, Jesus was like, 10 verses ago, I just did this. I mean, they obviously couldn't read their Bibles, but it's like 10 verses ago, I was multiplying this bread, and yet you guys are stressed about this? But, you know, I, I think about how that kind of plays out in my life, and I realize that it's not what I remember, but it's how I remember it. And so often, I focus on the trial, instead of how God got me through it. You know, I, I think about the inconvenience instead of how God may have provided for me in that moment. Uh, Rachel and I, it's not a funny joke, but we joke about it. You know, it, it feels like every time you have extra money, and I say extra in quotation marks because I'm a minister and she's a teacher, but like every time you have extra money, what happens? Something breaks. Every stinking time. I mean, without fail. Yes, we have this extra money. Oh, the water heater's gone. Yes, we have this extra money. There goes the transmission. I mean, it's like every single time. But when I remember those situations, how I remember them is, ugh, we were going to do this, and now we have to use it on this. How I should remember those situations is what? Man, Thank goodness it was there. Look how, look how God provided for me in this situation. Otherwise, we may have had to take out a loan or dip into our credit card, which Dave Ramsey says is not supposed to happen. Um, 
But right, I mean, sometimes we get so caught up in not remembering things in a way that honors God. And kind of along those lines, you know, I hope you guys are in the same boat as I do, but when am I going to stop being surprised when God shows up in a big way? It's like everything, every time it happens, I'm still surprised by it. You would think that at some point in my life, I'll start to expect it. You know, at some point in my life, I would, you know, cut through all this craziness and remember that God's going to show up. Yet it feels like every time he does, it's like, oh, man, God, that was awesome. Didn't see that coming. You know, it's only the fourth millionth, six hundred and seventy second time you've done it. Um, right. And, and I feel like the ideas and the influences of our world and sometimes the ideas and influences of, of our religion can cause us to not focus on a God who delivers. Like we focus on the trial. We focus on the inconvenience. And that really hurts our understanding of who he is. So not seeing clearly, not seeing who he is, not hearing clearly, not hearing it in a way that helps us to remember that he delivers. And then this last thing here, and it's kind of an aside to the other two, He says, and don't you remember? This one's a little different. This is kind of where I want to land with the rest of our time tonight. Because this one I I don't think has anything to do with us remembering something about God. But I think he wants us to remember something about ourselves. Let's pick up in verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did who pick up? Did you pick up? Twelve, they replied, to which Jesus was like, yeah, one for every one of you. Glad you remembered that. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did who pick up? Did you pick up? They answered, seven which Jesus thought, I wish number seven had any significance in, you know, in Jewish custom. Um, and he said to them, do you still not understand? And the point here is that so often the ideas and the influences of the world, and especially, I think, in this case, religion, can cause us to question our status with God. And it causes us to not understand that he has invited us into his mission. He doesn't need us. But he has invited us into this mission of his. And I think that, you know, especially in the case of the disciples, I think that that is, you know, I'll give them a pass on this one. I don't usually give them a pass, but I can give them a pass on this one. Think about Jewish society, right? Everyone starts out on the path to becoming a rabbi, all the, all the males. And it's all about being good enough, right? Am I good enough to memorize these scriptures? Am I good enough to keep these rules correctly? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And when you're not good enough, you go back to your family and you learn what your family does. This may take a couple years. This may take a really long time. But eventually, only those who are good enough 
get to be those men of God, right? And so, so often we forget that God has invited us into this plan. You know, he mentions the 5,000. And what I think is so cool about the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is that the solution to the story of the 5,000, the solution that God provided, that Jesus provided, both began and ended with the disciples. Right? If you remember the story, you know, they came up and they said, Jesus, these people are hungry. They're about to be hangry. What are we going to do? Do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, you feed them. To which they ran away crying. But like, he said, you feed them. And they're like, us? What in the world? Like how? He said, go. Go see how much food we have. See what we can do. And so they went and they took stock and they collected you know, five loaves and two fish. Jesus kind of did his thing over here with the multiplication, however that worked. And then at the end, they went around and they picked up the pieces. Did Jesus need them to do that? No. He could have done all that on his own. Did Jesus do the hard part? Yeah. Did he invite them into the mission anyway? Absolutely. And he does it 10 times out of 10. I mean, you know, God is never going to miss his mark. And if we're honest, he does stuff in spite of us, not because of us. But that doesn't mean he doesn't invite us into his mission. And sometimes the ideas and the influences of the world and of our religion can cause us to forget that. can cause us to, to not remember, to not understand that we are a part of this mission, not because we need to be, not because we want to be, but because God wants us to be a part of it. And, and, and this is pure conjecture here on my part, but I, I feel like this was the one of the three, the seeing and the hearing and, and the remembering. I feel like this was the one that was the toughest for Jesus to swallow, right? I mean, he had already sent these guys out once and they came back and it, it seemed to go pretty well. He'd already spent you know, a pretty significant amount of time with these guys. And yet, they still didn't understand. They didn't understand that he wanted them to be a part of this. That at every turn he was trying to plug them into these situations because they didn't think they were good enough. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they weren't. They were the rejects of their society, not because they were bad people, but because society said they were. They weren't good enough to be men of God. They weren't good enough to be the rabbis, the religious leaders of that day. Which, you know, kind of as an aside, is probably why they all jumped at the chance to follow Jesus in the first place. Because he gave them that worth. He gave them that affirmation. But this whole idea of understanding that God wants us to be a part of this, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of the linchpin of this whole thing. Um, Paul talks about this a little bit over in Romans. If you guys want to jump over there for just a second. It's going to be Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, each of these kind of build on each other, right? You have this, this idea that people need to believe. You, you can't call on the name of, of the Lord unless you believe in him. But to believe, they have to hear, right? And to hear it, somebody has to preach it. And for somebody to preach it, that person has to be sent. That person has to understand that they are sent. That person has to understand that God wants them to be a part of this. And without that peace, the cycle stops. Without our understanding that we are a part of this and that God wants us to be a part of this, we're not going to feel sent. If we don't feel sent, we're not going to share. We're not going to preach. And if we don't preach, then somebody won't be able to hear it. If they don't hear it, they won't be able to believe it. If they don't believe it, then they won't be able to call on the name of the Lord. I mean, no pressure, right? <clears throat> but the idea that we have to understand that we are sent, that we are part of this because God wants us to be a part of this, in spite of everything that we've done, really is the linchpin of this whole thing that we call discipleship. Because once we help somebody else believe, part of that belief is understanding that they too are sent so that they can preach, so someone can hear, so that that person can believe and understand that they are sent. And you know, Jesus knew that these guys were about to take up his mantle, right? If you come back and hang out with us on Sunday, you know, Josh is going to talk about uh, this kind of bizarre double healing, but also for the first time, Jesus starts to break down to these guys and pull back the curtain a little bit of what's about to happen to him. Spoiler alert, it doesn't completely go well. And so this is something that's weighing heavy on Jesus' heart, I feel like, right now, is to help them understand that they are a part of this, that Jesus wants them to be a part of this. But if we look just at the entire story of God, right? The entire story of God. It's all about God using imperfect people to fulfill a perfect mission. So if you guys don't take away anything else from, from tonight, it's that this, you need to remember that it's this understanding that God wants us to be a part of this. It's this understanding that, that we are sent. And, you know, I'll be honest, like, it's a lot easier for me to understand good things about a good God than it is for me to understand good things about me. Right? Like, I feel like I can usually cut through the noise. I can usually cut through the ideas and influences of the world and of religion to see God for who he is. I do a halfway decent job of being able to cut through the ideas and influences of the world and of religion to 
to be able to hear God in a way that helps me to remember that he's going to provide for me. But man, when it comes to me, because I know me, (laughs) when it comes to me, I'm pretty good at listening to the world. Christians are hypocrites. Christians don't love homosexuals. Christians don't care about people from other countries. That's the idea and influences of the world. Right? So how can me as a Christian be a part of God's amazing plan? And then I look at the influences and the ideas of religion. Evan, you're not good enough. You haven't completely gotten this sin out of your life. You will never be, because of whatever happened in your past, able to really fulfill God's mission. That's what the ideas and influences of religion will tell us. But God is telling us here, and Jesus is showing these guys right in front of them with so many examples over and over again in their lives that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. I am inviting you into this. I want you to be a part of this. And we mentioned just a second ago about how the entire story of God is just about God using imperfect people to fulfill a perfect plan, right? And what's cool is that it's a beautiful parallel to also what we talked about earlier in the feeding of the 5,000. We start in Genesis, and from Genesis all the way to Jesus, we see God using imperfect people to do some amazing things. Then in the middle of the story, Jesus comes in, just like he did in the feeding of the 5,000, and he does the hard part. He does the thing that we could never, ever do. He died on the cross for our sins, and then he was raised three days later. And then it's our turn again. And just like in the feeding of the 5,000, now it's our job to go and pick up the pieces. So often, the world, religion, whatever these influences are, they cause us to see a God that's not big enough to handle our mess. They cause us to hear things about our God that cause us to not remember how amazing he is and that he delivers us. But I think most of all, those ideas and influences, they can cause us to forget that not only are we a part of this incredible mission, not only are we a part of this incredible vision that God has, but that he wants us to be a part of it. And so that, that's my challenge for us, for especially me, tonight. And my prayer for us is that as, as we go out, as we go through our lives, that we try to see God as clearly as we can, we try to hear him as clearly as we can, but most of all, that we don't forget that he chose us, every single one of us in here, to be a part of this. And we can't let the world and we can't let our ideas of religion tell us otherwise. Let's pray, guys. Lord, we love you and we thank you. God, we, we thank you for trying to get us to understand 
we thank you for trying to help us see you clearly, to see who you really are, not just this man, not just this being, but a loving father who would do anything for us. We thank you for helping us to hear about you clearly and in a way that is going to remind us of all the amazing things that you've done, that we don't focus on the bad, but we focus on how you got us through the bad. And God, for me at least, most of all, we thank you for helping us remember that you want us to be a part of this. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what religion says, that you, God, want us to be a part of what you're doing. And God, we are so thankful for that. We pray that you help us to understand these things throughout our lives. We pray that that understanding can grow. And we pray that we're able to share that understanding with others as we meet them. Lord, you're amazing. We're so thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, we'll see you guys on Sunday.